Good morning, everybody, and welcome to episode 147 of the Quickie Podcast. Thanks for being here today. I'm your host, Dave Hopkins, and this is a fun one. This guest is super fun to talk to. My guest today is Lindsay Stripling. She is an illustrator and artist out of San Francisco. San Francisco. During this episode, we talk about how she loved maps and drawing maps as a child, and also the magazine that was really influential to her as a kid, which is still available, and is a magazine that my kids get, and that was cool to find out. We talk about how college was the first time that art and illustration really started to feel like where she should be. We also talk about how she is using illustration in her in print and packaging. We talk about why this last year for her has been one of the most challenging times in her career so far. She tells us about the Hood Sisters business course that uh, she took that was really helpful to her in that whole freelance transition, and also the mystery painting project and what that taught her. Another really cool story that she tells us right near the end is the time that Lisa Congdon purchased five of her paintings and what that felt like and how random it felt like to her. So ladies and gentlemen, let's get to this one. My wonderful, super fun guest, Lindsay Stripling. Here we go. Welcome to the Quickie Podcast, the daily interview show where we talk to graphic designers about their journey to the creative field, and we do it in 30 minutes or less. So, are you ready for a Quickie? Good morning, Lindsay. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you? Doing great. Thanks so much for making time to uh, be a guest on the show today. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited. So first and foremost, are you ready for a quickie? I'm so ready. Perfect. Well, briefly <laughs> tell the listeners about yourself. Um, I am an illustrator and artist. I live in San Francisco. I have three dogs and I'm right near the beach. <laughs> Living the hard life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So how long have you been able to call yourself an illustrator and artist? Um, I've been an artist probably about seven years, maybe eight years. I lose track of the time. And then I've probably only been illustrating for the last like three mm -hmm. years and then full time for the last year. Gotcha. Now, did all of this just come naturally to you or did you grow up being an artist and that was the direction you were going no matter what? Um, I mean, I don't, I didn't grow up in a family or a community where like art was emphasized. So I didn't really have any clear models of artists around me mm -hmm. or creative careers, but I definitely like loved books and like the maps in front of books and would like draw my own maps all the time and cool. color a lot and do a lot of nerdy introverted stuff like that. So I feel like it was there. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> That's cool. So when did it really start to take hold? Was that like elementary school, high school, college? Where did it really start to take hold? Um, I think when I was in high school, I had my first art class where it felt like the teacher was taking the students seriously. So we had like some pretty clear like art assignments, which was really cool. 
And I felt like I really, it was the first time where I felt seen. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I identified with the work and I identified with like my fellow students in a way that I like didn't before. So when I went to college and I was struggling with what I was going to do in college, I started taking art classes because that felt comfortable. And that's probably when it really like started to dawn on me that was something I wanted to focus on. Well, so that was the moment that it really started to feel natural. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's always been hard. Like, um, it felt natural in the sense that it felt like where I was supposed to be. Like it felt like, uh, it felt right. Um, but definitely I think, uh, felt like a fish out of the water most of the time, just in the sense of being, you're always new. You're always trying something new. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So through college, what, and you stuck with art courses, did you graduate with a, a degree in any specific art or what happened with that? Yeah, I went to UC Santa Cruz and I ended up um, actually leaving the painting major that I was doing and focusing on black and white photography. So I was doing a lot of like silver gelatin photography and that's what I got my degree in. Very cool. Yeah. So upon graduation, did you just, bam, hit the ground running and started being an artist or or what (laughs) what was the path to that? No, I felt like I just didn't understand what what comes after college. Like, <laughs> I don't um, think anybody does. <laughs> no, I was like, I'm like, well, I guess I'll just keep working in restaurants. So I was bartending a lot, and only up until last year did I stop working in restaurants. So that oh. has always been like a backdrop to my work. But um, it took me a while. It took me a long time to figure out that. Um, how to like pivot into working as an artist? Just because mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't feel prepared. Um, UC Santa Cruz is a great school. Um, but it, you know, a lot of traditional art programs, they focus on, um, almost like an archaic way of like thinking about art as a career. And it involves like a lot of like buying a burrito on Monday and making it last till Friday and like smoking (laughs) cigarettes and like renting cheap studios. Like borrowed cigarettes though. Yeah. 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 Like cutting them in half or something. Yeah. Yeah. Just a couple now and a couple later. That's exactly (laughs) for the record. I don't smoke cigarettes, but I feel like that was the vibe. It was like a, you know, high mock neck, uh, Turtleneck, cigarettes, burritos. That was the vibe. Nice. I feel like you're desi- yeah. you're describing like those hardy hardy boys, not the hardy boys, the uh, the gre- the greasers. What movie was that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like West Side Story or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. Thing. yeah. Yo, what you got going on in that art studio? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like most of my instructors were so cool, but they were just like you know they were like coming up in the seventies, so it was like mm-hmm. still that whole. I don't know. It just it was like your career path is like going to gallery shows and like getting free dinner at the like snack table and like meeting people and hoping for the best. And that was like the career path that you're supposed to take. And I was I didn't really see a lot of myself in that. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Okay. So it took a while for you to kind of sort of find your feet and stretch your legs after college and, you know, find that right fit for you. Yeah, yep, yeah, definitely. So before I move on, and you did some bartending, you were saying, mm-hmm. um, I'm a big fan of cocktails. So I got to ask <laughs> you, what is your favorite cocktail? And what would be your favorite cocktail to make if it's something different? Mm, 
Um, it's probably the same, uh, okay. but I don't know that I'm good at it anymore. Um, also, it's been a minute since I bartended. I managed for the last few years, but uh -huh. my favorite cocktail is a daiquiri. And most people think of like a frozen like strawberry daiquiri with like whipped cream on top, but uh -huh. it's actually like really simple rum cocktail served up and looks a lot like a martini. Um, nice. And it's really tasty and easy to make. I'm very thirsty now, so I might just have to go fix a daiquiri after this. <laughs> yeah. It's five o'clock somewhere. Best. Yep, they're really good. <laughs> got it. Okay, so I got a picture of the sort of the path that, uh, you know, you've been on to sort of get to this point here. Um, now, in that journey, what stands out to you as the most influential design, illustration, or piece of art of your life so far? Something that you saw and just really stuck with you? When I was first thinking about this question, that was really difficult for me in the sense that like I couldn't, we talked about it, I couldn't like wrap my mind around design as yep. a word. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> but I like sat with it for a while. And um, I think that like Highlights Magazine when I was a kid was like such a huge um, entry point for me. Like, like I said, books, I read a lot, maps in the front of books, but um, Highlights Magazine was available. My mom worked as a nurse and we would go after school because we didn't really do after school care. We would go to her work and sit in the back office and quote unquote do our homework. Mm -hmm. But they um, had Highlights Magazine in the front. Do you know Highlights Magazine? Okay, so I was going to wait for you till you finish to say this, but my kids receive Highlights Magazine. Still? still. They still make it? <laughs> um, if awful. it's the same magazine, it's still made. Oh, they have, do they still have the thing in the back where it's the hidden picture? You know what? To be honest, I'd have to go look. But I know <laughs> you it's, don't know. No, I'm just I know, right? Yikes! <laughs> Bad dad award. Yeah, hundred no, percent. Okay, I literally just googled highlights magazine, and it's the exact same magazine. Oh, it's the best. I mean, it was like so classic. The colors, like everything, was just my favorite. I loved, loved the hidden picture. Um, thing in the back so it would be mm -hmm. like one picture and then the exact same picture but a few things were like either missing i think they were missing um and then you had to identify what things were missing yeah okay now i know what you're talking about 100 percent, where you've got pictures side by side and you got yep, to circle yep. the differences between them yeah yeah yeah. i love that yes my and son loves that I think Where's Waldo too were like two things that I just, I just loved things that I could continue to look at. Like yep. I just felt like, um, those were like worlds that I could like enter into and just be so stoked about. So what yeah. about those, um, what about those magic eyes? Do you remember those? Yes. Those, that I was going to say those too. Those are so great. Yeah. It's like so of, entertaining. There's a funky pattern. And, you know, once you finally start seeing stars and losing your mind, you see the image that's in there. Yeah. And it was so cool to like, because um, I have a sister and we're really close in age and we were really close all growing up and still. And it was really fun to be like, I see this thing and then have her be like able to relate to me on that or describe how she was seeing it. And like one of us could see it and the other one was struggling and vice versa. It was just like a really cool way to like, do that together. Yeah. It got to a point where I could just look at the picture, go cross-eyed a little bit and see exactly what it <laughs> yeah. was. And then yeah. you'd have the people who are like looking at it and holding it from their, like from their nose and slowly backing <laughs> it away. Oh, I got to yeah. start over again. Oh, got to start over again. that was the technique. Yeah, that's the that's technique. So <laughs> I forgot. That's so funny. Awesome. Um, who are some of the illustrators, artists, or designers that you look up to or closely follow? And what about them do you like? 
Um, I really, really love Jing Wei. Um, I don't know if you've um, interviewed her. She'd be a fun one to interview. Um, uh, She's a illustrator. She used to work for Etsy and then her, um, her style of illustration is just really distinct and um, identifiable. And she tackles a lot of like really beautiful editorial concepts. Um, Love her stuff. And then Carson Ellis, um, is a big, uh, I'm a huge fan. Uh, she's such a badass and lives in Portland. And then, um, Lisa Congdon also in Portland, but used to be a Bay area person. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, Lisa, um, is awesome and just brings in a lot of like, uh, teaching and the way that like designers and illustrators and creative people handle freelance careers and stuff in her own work. And her artistic journey is, uh, really, um, inspirational she's older she was older when she started uh doing art and i feel like i definitely was really behind in getting into my art career as far as like behind quote unquote like that's just me putting that pressure on myself but you know it just makes me feel better to know that we can always be growing and changing definitely yeah really well said you know can always be growing and changing that never stops you know it used to be you go to school and you finish college, and that's all you need to learn, and you're ready for life. But yeah. you know, now everybody has finally embraced the lifetime of learning. Yeah, and that you know you don't you don't have to have found your perfect career mm-hmm. ever. You know, hopefully you're constantly evolving into your new favorite career or whatever. Definitely. Yeah. Um, so now I want to dive in a little bit to print and packaging, and hear how you have utilized. Um, you know, illustration or creative for print and packaging in your design career? Yeah, um, you know, I was really into making zines. Probably my first introduction into getting into illustration was making zines for San Francisco Zine Fest. Uh Um, I started working uh, with um, a printer here in San Francisco who was uh, this young um, girl who worked for a print company who was helping me figure out how to do layouts. Um, Her name is Hannah, and she was like helping me figure out how to do layouts and print because I'd never done that before. Uh At the time, I was mainly painting in watercolor, and so I was having to teach myself how to utilize Photoshop, which I'd only used for, like, photo editing before, Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) to, like, uh, format my illustrations into these, like, tiny little booklets. And so I did that specifically for ZineFest, and I did that for two years. And um, that was probably – those were digital prints of, like, watercolors and drawings I was making um, in probably 10-page zines. And then um, two, I think two years ago, I started going to Portland and um, I took a class at Kate Bingham and Burt's uh, Outlet. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've heard of Outlet. No. Um, it's like this risograph studio that she has that um, her uh, office or illustration uh, studio is up above. So she has like four risograph machines and you can take a class on how to risograph. Um, and then you have a membership basically to the space so you can go back anytime and like use those machines to print during the open hours. Mm-hmm. So I've used, been using that and trying to develop those skills, which are very foreign to me. <laughs> very cool. So those zines, were they just sort of promos for you to hand out around the area or were they the clients that you created those for? Um, no. So the, the zines were more like um, maybe like, concepts that I was working with in my own paintings that I would put into like a zine format. Mm -hmm. So they didn't read quite like a picture book, but they were kind of like a, 
maybe like a bastardized picture book. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. there, the the images, there were no like words or anything, but the images kind of like led you through a narrative. So what's it like then creating something, you know, whether it be on screen or an illustration or a painting of some kind, and then translating that into print and holding that print piece for the first time? What is that like? It was really satisfying. It's kind of like... um, a lot of the work I had done up until then was making paintings and then getting them framed for gallery shows. Mm -hmm. And up until the point that they're framed and in a gallery, you kind of think that they're trash by that point. (laughs) (laughs) Just because you're like so sick of looking at them. And so you're just like, I'm not sure how this is all going to come together. And then I think what becomes so addicting about gallery shows is like the moment you get to like hang them up and see them in a space. Mm -hmm. And so I think for print, it was probably like, that was my first time putting things together and getting them to, to be in this like clean, cool, new, fresh format. Mm -hmm. Um, So it kind of gave them like a new life. It was, it was neat. I really liked it a lot. That's cool. Yeah. So Lindsay, I got to dabble into the tough stuff now. Um, I've got a few questions that are about challenging times and challenging projects in your career. And um, I want to sort of pull those stories and the lessons learned through that out for the listeners here. Um, So what's been the most challenging time in your design career so far? Why was it challenging and how did you get through it? So um, the, probably the most challenging time for me has been the last year. I left my uh, restaurant job to work for myself full time Mm -hmm. um, last July. So July of 2018. Mm -hmm. And it has been great, like really wonderful and awesome, but it's also just been a really large learning curve. Um, Mm -hmm. I always had, I've always had like money to fall back on. So like regardless of what type of work or how much work I was bringing in, um, I always had something to fall back on and I, pulled that out from underneath me intentionally because I needed a little bit of a kickstart and something to push me. Mm -hmm. But it forced me to realize that I wasn't quite sure what direction I wanted to go in. And I went into like probably 50 different directions (laughs) for the first six months and was just kind of throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what stuck. And now I feel like it's all starting to make a lot more sense. And I have a very clear idea of, uh, or a much clearer idea of where I want to be going and what type of work I want to be bringing in. Um, but there are a lot of, a lot of like different setbacks, like, um, excitingly I moved into a new house. Um, but you know, balancing, um, bringing in work, signing new contracts, uh, planning out like future clients kind of fell to the wayside. And then once I moved in, I realized I didn't have any incoming projects, just things, things like that, that I hadn't really had to deal with before where I was Mm -hmm. like, Oh yeah, if I'm not, (laughs) if I'm not signing any contracts or planning out any work, I'm not going to be bringing in any money. It's very straightforward, but I don't know. I just hadn't, I hadn't ever had to like think about it in that way while balancing like life things. Mm -hmm. So the part of the question about getting through that time, I want to just sort of dissect that a little bit because from what I hear you saying is that, when you first made that decision, you know, the first four to six months were just throwing a bunch of stuff at the wall to see what stuck and sort of now where you're at and having been through all of that before cutting off that sort of safety net of the other job, do you think you could have seen how this would all come together? Uh, no, I don't think so. I, I mean, I think that, 
for me, I kind of needed it to be messy and to kind of just see what would happen because I know myself and I really like to have a lot of control over things, Uh but I also need to see things in order to understand them. So I wasn't ever going to put myself in a situation that was tumultuous like this because I couldn't see it and understand it. So Uh I feel like I did it in the way that I needed to, if that makes sense. Like, like I had to just fully dive in and I, my partner um, is super supportive and was actually the person who kind of pushed me to do it. Uh Um, so he was like, you need to just go for it and I'm here to help you. <laughs> if, but I mean, that help is, you know, you can't put that much strain on a relationship. So I, I definitely feel like I did it in the way that I needed to do it. But I think that if I could tell like younger Lindsay, like, you know, two years old, two years younger Lindsay, that I, um, what I was planning on doing, I would have asked her to just be a little more diligent about like spreadsheets and like numbers and paying attention to how much I wasn't charging enough when I quit. Uh So um, that's been probably a large hurdle for me is just figuring out what price points actually are livable. Um, I actually took uh, the hood sisters uh, business course um, in Memphis in April. And I feel like that, that was hugely helpful and beneficial. And it, um, addressed a lot of those issues around money and pay and being organized. Interesting. That sounds super cool. I didn't know that they had a business course. So I'm going to look at that. Oh yeah. It's incredible. They have like a book that goes along with it. I've seen the book for sure. Yeah. It was, um, do you know, creative works that they have like a design conference in, uh, yeah. So they, I guess they always do workshops for the design conference and then they decided to do work, a workshop specific, like conference type thing. So it was literally just for the workshop. So it was a 16 hour workshop with the hood sisters. Very cool. It was, it was awesome. Yeah. That's cool. Um, so Lindsay, I want to dive a little bit deeper into some of the tough stuff and I mm-hmm. want to hear about a project that you were a part of that did not go well or bring the desired result. What was that like? How did that feel? Can you take us to that story? Mm-hmm. Um, so when I first started getting into illustration, I didn't really have any client experience and I definitely wasn't really sure what it would be like to bring on clients or create contracts and have deadlines. So a few friends of mine um, helped me come up with a way to do custom paintings for people that would create, like make them more like a client. Uh So they would fill out these questionnaires. I called them mystery paintings And they would fill out these questionnaires and they would fill out what size they wanted and uh, answer kind of questions about like dreams and different animals that they connect to and things like that so that I can make the paintings really weird. Uh And, um, and I, I didn't think, I don't think that I gauged number one, the popularity. And I also don't think I was valuing myself. So Um, I didn't anticipate how popular they would be and how many people would order them for me. Uh And I also, I also didn't anticipate how much work they would be for me. So um, they were hugely successful in the sense that I learned a lot about client communication, about shipping and packing and like ordering all the different supplies I needed to ship out uh, watercolor paintings around the world. Um, And I had to figure out how to price myself appropriately eventually, but it was a solid like year of me just being behind on <laughs> shipping out people's custom paintings um, and also still struggling to 
make ends meet financially because I wasn't Mm -hmm. charging enough. So that was probably uh, the biggest learning curve that I had and probably one of the hardest periods of time because I just, I basically did it to myself. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) So what do you think of the sort of the core lessons that that taught you? Um, Well, I mean, I think that it was hugely beneficial in the fact that I, I realized that I needed to value myself uh-huh. and come up with clear systems for pricing um, around physical paintings, but also my illustration work, uh-huh. um, and also be realistic about time for things. So I would just be like, "Yeah, I think that's going to take me like four weeks," and <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah, if that was the only thing I was doing, that would take me four weeks." But that's not. <laughs> the only thing I'm doing, mm-hmm. um, nor should it be. So it's probably going to take longer and just overestimate time for some of those things. Mm-hmm. So I got a lot better about overestimating time for painting. Got it. Yeah. Sort of nailing that down. Um, and also sort of learning not to take on so much. Yeah, it was. And just, you don't have to say yes, just because, I mean, for me, it was like, I was stoked about the money. I didn't need it yet because I was also working this other job, but it was just like, I was just creating a headache for myself. And then I didn't have time to do any of the other stuff. So I, it was beneficial and I learned a lot, but it also like held me back from learning other things. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Uh, it makes complete sense for sure. Yeah. Um, now, what is something you're struggling with in your creative career right now? Um, I'm probably struggling with, uh, I'm teaching myself digital and I've been teaching myself digital for the last year mm-hmm. and just, um, I'm starting to see the connections, but probably for the last nine months, it's felt like, um, I'm living two different lives. Like I, I'm working digitally and my work is not connected to my, uh, you know, watercolor work and the history of work that I've done, or at least mm-hmm. that's how it felt. It's felt. So I've been trying to create um, systems where I can feel um, my digital illustration connecting to my traditional painting practice mm-hmm. um, and and also maybe starting to realize it's okay if they are separate, like working on my iPad and working on the computer um, doesn't feel like painting with watercolors and maybe it shouldn't. Mm-hmm. And so the practices can be different and that's a positive thing. So that's definitely something that's been really hard because I feel like it messes with my idea of who I am as an artist. Mm -hmm. You like lose a little bit when you learn something new. The point is to be like a fish out of water and uncomfortable, but sometimes that like discomfort can really filter into everything. Yeah, that's Um, for sure. Yeah. So it's hard to, you know, I'm trying to figure out how to embrace that discomfort, but also, still see myself within it. So Mm. that's been really interesting. Very cool. Okay, Lindsay, I'm going to turn this bus around for you. Um, (laughs) I want to hear about a project that you've been a part of that you are the most proud of one that just makes your heart sing. Um, Well, two different things came to mind when I was thinking about that. Number one is Lisa Congdon bought five of my paintings, like maybe four years ago. And (laughs) they're in her dining room and I haven't had a chance yet to see them, but, um, I've been a fan of Lisa for a long time. And when she purchased those from me, it was probably the exact, maybe it was four years ago. 
I can't remember. I think it was four years ago. And I was just blown away and so stoked and honored. And it was like exactly what I needed at the time because I was feeling like a little bit lost. I just finished a show, um, which when people, I think most artists can relate after you finish a show or a large project, probably for designers, it feels like a huge labor of love. And then you kind of get lost for a little bit. And Mm so it was a huge boost for me and made me feel like, you know, Lisa Congdon's taking me seriously. So like, I'm going to take myself seriously. Mm -hmm. Um, and then another one is my friend, um, uh, Dahlia owns a production company here in the city and she did a project with Nike in the beginning of the summer and needed an illustrator to have their illustrations animated to go over the video. Mm -hmm. And they hired me for that. And that was really cool. That's cool. Yeah. So I just want to sort of back up to the, um, you know, Lisa buying some of your paintings there. How did you find out? Like, did you just sort of get the the cart sale and look at the name and be like, holy shit, this is. I think if I remember correctly, I want to say that she sent me an email because she wanted to talk about um, shipping and or if she could buy all five. Because mm-hmm. um, I was doing these long series of like five to 10 paintings that were all connected. Um, I was reading a lot of Murakami, thinking about time continuums. So it was like a lot of uh, these giant connected paintings. And she wanted um, the five that were connected. And Mm -hmm. so she had sent me an email um, and I was pretty starstruck. It was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> That's super cool. That's where you go back. Yeah. Um, you just have to hop on a call with me and we can <laughs> yeah. discuss that. I, I just need you to sign a few things. And <laughs> since then we've become <laughs> friends. So that's cool. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, what is one product, tool, website, or community that you just can't live without, Lindsay? Um. You know, community to me, I feel like Instagram, I have a love and hate, but I've definitely met a lot of really cool artists, illustrators, designers, and just creative people in general who mm-hmm. I actually have ended up meeting in real life and forming relationships with. Mm-hmm. So that's been a tool that's been really beneficial, but also my actual community that I live in, um, in San Francisco has been unbelievable like I get jobs sometimes just because other illustrators who live in San Francisco or who I know who are here will recommend me for them um, because they have too much work going on and they'll be like, oh, you should contact Lindsay Stripling. And then that person who contacts me will be like, oh, so-and-so recommended you. And like I said, my friend Dahlia, who owns the production company, brought me on for that project. So I feel like there's a lot of that that just comes through being around creative people who want to support other creative people in an insanely expensive city where we're all just trying to survive. So Mm -hmm. that's pretty cool. That is cool. Yeah. Well, Lindsay, you've made it to the part of the show for the ask it forward question. That's right. Yep. That's where I have a question for you for my last guest and you get the opportunity to ask a question of my next guest. Awesome. So my last guest was John Benson. He's a senior designer at Rooster Teeth in Austin, Texas. You heard that, right? Rooster Teeth. Yeah, yeah, I heard. (laughs) Immediately looking it up. (laughs) Perfect. Um, Now, this is a perfect question for you because you did recently, you know, within the last couple of years, cut the ties and go out on your own. Um, So he wanted to ask, did it ever feel like the right time to go out on your own? What did you prepare or what did you do to prepare or did you just jump? 
Um, I think that I would have waited for forever for someone to tap me on the shoulder and tell me it was time um, mm. and that I was ready. And then I realized that no one no one was ever going to do that for me <laughs> yeah. um, and that there's never going to be a great time. And so I just jumped. And I don't know that just jumping is for everyone. It was truly horrifying and um, it's been really hard, but um, it's worked for me and it it's been awesome. Awesome. So nothing to prepare, not even like not even a little bit saved up in the bank to, to, you know, for to cover some stuff or you just had to rip off the bandaid. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I wish that I kept telling myself I needed to save like 10 grand and then I could do it. Mm -hmm. Um, But like, truly, that was just like it was like I almost was like, I need to save 10 grand and then I can do it. And then like the self-sabotager in me was just like, good luck. You know, like yeah, <laughs> totally. So we'll be broke forever. You know, so yeah. I was just like, okay, well, we just got to do this. Yeah. So San Francisco is is definitely a lot like Vancouver, and even maybe a little bit more so, where you're like, I just need to save ten thousand dollars. Okay, that will take me sixteen years. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm like, as soon as you know, it all. There's always something, and I think that honestly. You know, is it scary? Yes. Um, is like figuring out healthcare amidst all this terrifying, of course. But, you know, things come up, money moves in and out of bank accounts and hands, and it flows in and out, and you just got to trust it. And I just decided to trust it. Very cool. I love that. Okay. Um, what is your question, Lindsay? Um, I wanted to know if your next guest uh, could tell us. Um, when do you know, or how do you tell that perhaps the day isn't a productive one and you should take a break? Do you, and what do you do? So how, or so when do you know, how do you know that your day was a productive one? Or isn't, is or isn't like currently. Okay. And what do you do when it's not? Yeah. Like I find that, um, sometimes I'll, it'll be like 11, 10 or 11 in the morning and I just won't be able to get things done or put my head down and like be productive in the way that I need myself to. And most of the things, you know, if if it's a situation where I have to, because I have a deadline, then I'll just do it. But sometimes it actually, there's flexibility there for me to take the day off and do something that would be inspiring and get me like rejuvenated, especially since I like make my own hours. So Mm -hmm. sometimes I feel like identifying when it would be more beneficial to take a break is really difficult. And I like to hear, I would love to hear from your next guest, like how they figure that out or if that's hard for them as well. Got it. So I've got when or how do you know if your day was a productive one or not and or is going to be a productive one or not? And what do you do or tell yourself when it isn't? And how do you rejuvenate? Yeah, like when, maybe just even, when do you know it's time to take a break? And what do you do? You know, like when do you know it's time to uh, maybe call it or throw in the towel for the day? (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's time to throw in the towel for the day. Got it. Lindsay, you've reached the end of the Quickie Podcast. Thank you so much for being my guest today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been wonderful. All right. That is the end of today's episode, everybody. Thanks so much for listening today. I told you, I never lie. That was a fun episode. Thanks so much for tuning into the Quickie Podcast, and uh, we'll see you tomorrow. Bye.